So there's a line in one of our hymns that we sung every week last month. Spirit of life that goes, roots hold me close, wings set me free. So on this first Sunday of a new month, we're transitioning to a new theme. February, we talked about perseverance. March, we'll talk about balance. And over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the balances at the heart of Unitarian Universalism. Next week, we'll welcome new members into the congregation. And we're going to talk about what it means to uphold the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, one of our principles. What does it mean for a search to be both free and responsible? But before we do that, I want to start by talking about the, the other interplay at the heart of all of Unitarian Universalism, the, the interplay between our traditions and our possibilities. In the, the words of the hymn, what are the roots that hold us close and what are the wings that might set us free? So each of us has our own roots, obviously, and when we talk about the roots of Unitarian Universalism, there are as many directions as you could go as there are Unitarian Universalists, possibly more. <laughs> but I want to focus this morning on two of the, the deepest tap roots of contemporary Unitarian Universalism, which affect our, our practice now in ways good and bad, visible and invisible, and that is our, our distinctly Christian origins and our distinctly Emersonian leanings. So, nearer my God to thee. It's an outlier in our hymnal, right? It's not the only Christian hymn or carol in the gray hymnal. There are certainly an abundance in the Christmas section. But usually, if you look closely, words have been changed here or there to make it better fit Unitarian theology. So, uh, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, becomes Emmanuel shall come within as love to dwell. The, the hymn is the same, but the words are different. But this one, Nearer My God to Thee, that we sang this morning, is different. Because it's a classic hymn, and it is unchanged. It appears in the gray hymnal exactly as it does in the 2008 Baptist hymnal. It's a favorite of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. An online church or music database that I was looking at while I was preparing this sermon listed 2,147 hymnals that have been published with this particular hymn in it. There's, there's a story, um, Ted Turner, when CNN was launching, uh, he said that CNN will run until the end of the world, and at the end of the world, we'll play Nearer My God to Thee, and then we'll, we'll sign off. <laughs> And a couple years ago, CNN got hacked and they found in the CNN archives an audio file saying, hold for the end of the world, <laughs> hold for publication. So spirit of life, beloved as it might be in our tradition, appears in one hymnal, nearer my God to thee, appears in 2000. So what is it doing here? It is a Unitarian hymn. In fact, it's our biggest contribution to church music outside of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which we will talk about some other time. 
Nearer My God to Thee was written by Sarah Fuller Adams sometime between 1820 and 1840. Adams was a second-generation British Unitarian. The ministers of her childhood were the founders of Unitarianism. And Adams was a, a poet. Her longest work was an epic poem, and it is long, entitled Vivia Perpetua, in which a young woman fights against patriarchy, although she did not use that language, by facing down older men and refusing to renounce her Christian beliefs. Adams died in her 40s after decades of ill health. Several of her siblings also died young. It seems to me likely that Nearer was written out of that experience. The hymn was first published in America in the, 19, in the 1844 Unitarian hymnal, and it has been with us since. There is not a Unitarian or Universalist hymnal that I've found that does not have it somewhere in there. And it's a striking hymn now because it is so explicit in its theology. When we as an institution are not, at least in our theology, nearer my God, even though it be a cross that raiseth me, the whole hymn is a, is a rereading of two verses of Genesis, the, the um, dream that Jacob has in the wilderness. And while there are still Unitarian and Universalist Christians in our congregations, the theological diversity contained in these walls would probably surprise Sarah Adams. But I think when we're talking about our roots, it's unavoidable to mention that for three quarters of our history, for 150 years, Unitarianism and Universalism existed as two things, both liberal Christian denominations. We're going to come back to the word denomination later. And the first Unitarians in particular saw themselves as defenders and expounders of scripture. Far from seeing themselves as a split off from Christianity, they were deeply concerned with the proper way to interpret. What might be learned by doing so? The, the foundational document of Unitarianism, William Ellery Channing's speech in Baltimore, includes we, meaning Unitarians, regard scriptures as the records of God's successive revelations to mankind. This authority, which we give scriptures, is a reason we conceive for studying them with peculiar care and for inquiring anxiously into the principles of interpretation by which their true meaning may be ascertained. He was a Harvard man. So we've evolved considerably in the last two centuries. This is not a Christian church. The roots might still be there. Our, our theology is the thing that has changed most drastically and our sources of authority rather than placing scripture and reason at the heart of it like Channing did, we're quick to add experience, our individual sense of what is true and meaningful, scriptures beyond the Hebrew and Greek of the Christian Bible. And yet the rhythms of our congregational life are heavily influenced by the culture of Channing's generation. We gather on Sunday, we sing hymns, Somebody gets up and speaks for 20 or 30 minutes. 
or 15 so we can get out in time for coffee. We are also rooted in the rigor of Channing's generation. I, I worked with a, a spiritual director in New York. He was a, he was a Franciscan priest. Um, and he used to say, I love, I love working with the Unitarians and the Jesuits. <laughs> because you take theology seriously. <laughs> so nearer my God to thee is a holdover from this root of Unitarian Universalism. Uh, it's an explicitly Christian hymn, but it, it also touches on the other taproot, this idea of individualism that is so much a part of our religion. In 1838, a generation after Channing, right around the time Sarah Adams was writing hymns, the Unitarian Divinity School at Harvard University asked a rising intellectual star to deliver the commencement address. Ralph Waldo Emerson had attended Harvard 10 years ago. He briefly served as a minister of the Unitarian Second Church in Boston before writing in his journal that, quote, I have sometimes thought that in order to be a good minister, it is necessary to leave the ministry. <laughs> the profession is antiquated. Interesting choice for a commencement address at a seminary. And indeed, after he gave it, he was not invited to return for 30 years. <laughs> I used to think of Emerson's Divinity School address as, as this big speech that he gave in front of a crowd of people, but when you actually, when you visit Harvard Divinity School, the, the chapel where he gave the address is about a quarter the size of this room. And they, they have it set up now the way they did then. It's, it's, a, it's a C shape of two rows of chairs around three walls. And so there were probably only 20, maybe 30 people there But the, the shock waves that emanated from that, we are still feeling, and I would say they are, they are central to Unitarian Universalism as it exists now. Because Emerson was a direct reply to Channing. Rather than expound on scripture, Emerson said, each, each person should look within for divine revelation, for uh, evidence of how to live an ethical life. That is always best, he preached, what gives me to myself. The sublime is excited in me by the great stoical doctrine, obey thyself. That which shows God in me fortifies me. That which shows God out of me makes me a wart. This passionate individualism was a major influence on Unitarianism as it evolved. As we see it today, Fred Muir, the minister at the congregation in Annapolis, calls him Saint Emerson. It might strike you as odd, Muir wrote recently, to call him Saint Emerson. Emerson would certainly protest. While I do this in good fun, my designation has a point. If Unitarian Universalism had a pantheon of those we claim as holy and virtuous, who saved us from a national and spiritual conspicuous conformity, Emerson would likely be the top of the list. His contributions to the development of American and Unitarian Universalist identities are immeasurable. St. Emerson suggested, often it feels he demanded, 
that we know and name our uniqueness as humans and as Americans and take joy in both. So now, when we talk about each individual having almost infinite worth, when we declare that we are free and responsible for the meaning and truth we find in this world, we are echoing words of the Emersonian project. Emerson placed individual experience at the heart of his writing. As we do each time we gather together as fierce individuals in community, a community of iconoclasts, Unitarian Universalism. So here are two taproots holding us close even at times, even if at times we push away from them. The historical roots as our as a Christian denomination, and the Emersonian emphasis on individual experience. But what are the wings that might set us free? Since we're talking about hymns a lot. In 1961, the Unitarians merged with the Universalists, and in the merger they commissioned a hymn, we sang it a couple weeks ago, as tranquil streams that meet and merge. And there's a, the, a line in it written at a moment when we as an institution were trying to figure out what we were going to be. A freedom that reveres the past but trusts the dawning future more. What is that dawning future? In the 50 years since, we started pointing to the horizon Channing and Emerson are still very much with us. The, the intellectual rigor that is so often a point of pride in our congregations and in the individualism that is so present in our culture and our thinking, I don't think it's a, a simple coincidence that Unitarian Universalism in the 20th century expanded most rapidly in college towns. And we're pretty good at saying what we're not. We're not creedal. We have Christians in our congregations, but we're not institutionally Christian. I want us to have more, though, than, than rigorous intellectual individualism and a lack of prescribed belief. Now, don't get me wrong, I am the son and grandson of intellectuals, of college professors. Idiosyncratic intellectualism is more or less my native language. <laughs> but, but we can be more than that collectively. One way to, to clarify this question of what we might be as an institution is to ask it in the simplest terms, what, what is Unitarian Universalism? I think this was a question that, that Stacy asked me on our first date. <laughs> I have spent the last half decade trying to answer it. I flagged the term denomination before, um, because for a long time that was the answer to this question. We were a Christian denomination, or, or two Christian denominations. Liberal denominations, denominations that fought with our relationship with institutional Christianity, but a part of a larger whole. That answer doesn't fit anymore. That's not who we are. You occasionally see the language of Unitarian Universalism as a denomination, but only in settings that are ecumenical, that have many different denominations gathering and we're claiming a seat at the table. But it's not 
essentially what we are. So this has been a question the last, the last 20 years or so. We're not a denomination. Are we a movement? Is Unitarian Universalism a movement? Well, not, not really. A movement is a broad-based coalition working to enact specific change in the world. Occupy Wall Street was a movement. Civil rights was a movement. Black Lives Matter is a movement. But Unitarian Universalism does not have a policy agenda. So we're a little different than that. Are we a faith? That's another definition that gets thrown around. Well, I say that Unitarian Universalism is my faith, but faith ultimately in our conception of it is an individual act. And we are here collectively. There are 150 of us in this room. So a community based on the absence of shared belief cannot collectively be a faith. The language I often find myself coming back to as I, as I think about this question, what is Unitarian Universalism, uh, is paradoxically religion. One of the, the possible roots of the word religion is Latin, religare, meaning to, to tie or bind, to hold together. Religion is what binds us. And this seems paradoxical, both to, to this Emersonian individualism and to the, the words that we started this sermon with, wings set me free. What is freeing about tying ourselves to something? But we are a tradition of covenant. Covenant is at the heart of what we do. The seven principles that we, that we talk about that, that talk about the worth and dignity of the individual the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the use of the democratic process, those are part of the Unitarian Universalist Association's covenant. They are what we freely agree is the thing that holds us together. We are individuals who choose to associate, who choose to tie ourselves together, bound up in a single garment of destiny, Jordan said. I think there are possibilities here. And the, the elemental question of Unitarian Universalism, what is it that holds together a multitude of individuals without a shared theology? What is the they-ology of Unitarian Universalism? We're going to pick up some of those questions next week. But for now, uh, I'll say this. I think what holds us together is the commitment we've made to hold together. That sounds like a tautology, but it's, it's not. The commitment to be part of something, in community with each other, even when it's hard, even when we disagree, is an idea whose time is here, now, present, in this room. Lord knows it is an idea that is needed in the world. How will we hold together with a multitude of beliefs? Not fracturing because we disagree, but but reveling in the diversity, the, the beauty of beliefs and experiences all around us. How could we do that? One of my mentors is fond of ending sermons and visits 
by telling people, remember you are held by a love beyond belief. And the first time I heard that, I, I had no idea what it meant. But here, here's what I think now. Belief is individual. Love is relational. We each can have our beliefs, but, but love is what ties us together. That shared commitment to be together as a community. That can be our religion. That can be wings. Amen.